Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. They told me that if I pause for a while, it creates a sense of suspense and it's like, what's happening? Did he get stuck? Well, I count it a privilege and an honor, a high honor to be before you today and and preach the word. Something that I don't take lightly at all. God is so good. God is so good. You know, even despite myself, God is so good. I remember there was a time when my sons had this gift card for, uh, it was for like one of those pizza, pizza places where you redeem all the video games, right? And I remember he got stuck on this one of those things that, that just take, it's just one of those, uh, it's, it's, I guess I, you can call it gambling for kids, but it's one of those things that you just put it and you can't ever win. It's one of those, um, what are they called? Those strategy games, that very, you have to be very precise to hit this little dot or something like that. And I remember he just kept putting in and he just kept, he just kept going with no concept that his thing was gonna run out. Now, it was really for lack of not being able to refill his card, but when he got, when he got duped, I felt so bad for him. I felt so bad. I was like, oh, mijo, you know, you shouldn't have done that. And at the time, I didn't have, you know, the funds to, to, you know, refill the card, but everything in me wanted to. And the Bible says that if us, being unrighteous fathers, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much a righteous God can give to us. Amen. So wherever you find yourself, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you did as you were pulling into the parking lot but know that God has got you covered. He has got you covered at every moment of your life. And that's what I'm gonna speak about today. He's got you covered. Do you ever feel opened and exposed uh, during the trials of life? Kind of like, you know, my son was duped on that little strategy game. Do you ever feel like, you know, oh man, everything's coming against me. Do you ever feel that the enemy has like free pickings everything when it comes to the heartaches that you have in life. You have something that just eats away at you and then the enemy somehow comes up and just starts to rub his thumb into the wound. Do you ever feel like he's got an upper hand? Well, you know what? He really doesn't. He really doesn't. It's all a mind game with him. Because you know and you understand, and if you don't, hopefully by the end of this sermon you will understand that he does not have any power or influence over the Christ Christian believer. Amen? See, the enemies of this life, they may chase you. They may hunt you down and altogether seek to make your life miserable. But those enemies or any other adversary does not have the last say on anything. Not one thing. God, in his complete sovereignty, has got you covered. He's got you covered, amen? The battles of this life may at times make us feel that as we are, that, that we're open 
an open target to everyone, an open target uh, that can't stand, uh, the enemy cannot stand the favor of God on our lives. So he, you are an open target in a sense. But as some preachers I've heard say, be of good cheer because God has got us covered. Amen. Psalms 125 Verse two says, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth, even forever. And if God is like a mountain surrounding us, then there's no adversary that can break through the covering he has for us. There's nothing that he, there's nothing that can break through that. There's nothing that can break through that. It may feel like we're on the run sometimes, but God is still that protecting force that covered my head daily, daily in battle. Whatever you're facing, whatever trial or persecution, God has got you covered. If anybody knew about being constantly chased by his enemies, seeking to take their life, it was David. And I'll speak a little bit more uh, on him, but he proclaimed in Psalms 140, verse seven, O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. Now, if you're not uh, a seasoned Christian, you don't know too much about David. David is, uh, is pretty much the epitome of the favored child of God. He is the one that everybody looks to as a favorite child of God, right? So what's interesting about David is that he probably more than anybody has more sins listed against him than anybody else in the Bible. More than Judas, more than Solomon, who was an idolater. He has more sins in the Bible laid out, listed out than anybody else. Yet God favored him. Why is that? Well, tonight I'll challenge you to commit your heartaches, your trials, your persecutions, your battle and your enemies to God and let them be your covering today. If you don't understand or you don't know what it means to be covered by God, my hope is that I will help you get a little bit more insight into that and you can fall under the covering. If you've not noticed yet, if you've heard me speak before, or frankly don't know, or just, again, haven't heard me speak, uh, I'm a word person, and uh, I love to not just dig into their definitions or, or use them for that matter, but I like their etymology. There's another word for you. Etymology. Etymology is simply uh, the study of the origins of words. So, uh, apostle, where's apostle come from? It comes from the Latin apostol, which comes from the Greek apostolos, which means simply messenger. And that's how we get, that's the etymology of the word apostle, okay? So that's just an example of what etymology does and and something that I love to do. I always go into the etymology and I'm always seeing, what is the origin of this word? Why do people use this word? Because words are powerful. What you proclaim over your life will determine the type of covering that you have because you can step out from under it, not even know it because of your words, because of your declarations. Well, okay, let me me go forward because that's a little bit later in the sermon. with that, let's, let's start with the theme word of, of the night, and that is covering. What is a covering? Well, Merriam-Webster, the go-to dictionary says, covering is an object or substance that goes over or on top of something, especially in order to hide it, that's one way, or to protect it. Moses covered himself with a veil. Probably wondering what I did with these when I 
first uh, laid him out here. He covered himself with a veil. And uh, honey, could you come up real quick? Help me out with this. I didn't think this one all the way through. shoulders. All right. So when Moses would pray, he'd put a prayer shawl on his shoulders. But before he started to speak with God, he would do this. He would cover his head. Why? Because in those days, the tradition was that the top of your head meant symbolized man's wisdom. So what you were doing in covering your head, you were saying, God, your wisdom is higher than mine. That's a Jewish tradition. That's why they do that. Pretty neat, right? So there's a lot of meaning in that. So there was, there was a covering, a physical symbolization of what uh, God, God meant to his people. He was such a, in an honorific position that people would wash their hands even before handling a scroll. There's one of my favorite uh, recitals in, uh, in, in the Jewish culture is the Shema. Anybody familiar with the Shema? It's Deuteronomy 6.4. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ahad. And that simply meant, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. The Lord is one. And that was the declaration. That was the first declaration that any Jewish boy or any Jewish child would learn that your God is one Lord and that he is the one that is responsible for everything in existence. And because of that one, because of that one and, and staying under that one, there was protection. There was protection over everything, over your household, over your goods, over your family, over yourself. And there's uh, several, uh, several different parts to the Shema, but it's so beautiful. If you ever get a chance to look it up on the internet or, or, or something, it's, just, it's, it's really beautiful, especially because they, they do it with, with notes and they sing it. It's really pretty. Um, but the, the covering is not, also, is not only just symbolized in the Old Testament. It's also symbolized in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 11 when uh, Paul, the apostle, is talking about uh, the veil or the covering on the woman. And I brought another uh, veil here, or another shawl. I was raised in a denomination called the Apostolic Assembly. Great organization. They, they really instituted uh, you know, prayer and study. And so I'm not going to put this one on because of the symbology of it, but this one is a, is a woman's head covering. And this is an actual Mediterranean head covering that I got when I was in Europe. I think I was in Italy at the time, but uh, I bought it at a little store. And this is their typical, it's really beautiful, right? It's really pretty. And the women, and Italy is really Catholic. And, and we know that uh, Catholicism came out of, uh, came out of early Christianity. And, and they kept the tradition of the women head covering. And still to this day, the women in, in Catholicism still use it and they cover their heads. Why? Because the same tradition, they, it's an honorific tradition, a symbology that they would cover themselves because it was a, it was a, it was a symbol of, it's, it's kind of like baptism is an outward expression of an inward witness. This was an outward expression of your inward respect. All right? Now, it didn't save you, it didn't make you more holy, but it was an expression. Amen? You following? All right. 
So I, I say that just to say simply that there is scriptural, scriptural history about the covering not just a spiritual covering, but how the saints of old and how the Old Testament figures, how they uh, understood covering. One person that's, uh, that's really interesting uh, about covering is, is Saul. And he's an Old Testament figure. And Saul, when he started out, he started out pretty good, right? If you don't know the story about Saul, he's the king of, first king of Israel. And let me just explain, or let me just uh, run down the scriptures here. You have it in your notes. It's, uh, just take the time to read it a little bit later. You don't have to go to it right now. I'll just, I'll just touch base on it. 1 Samuel 9, 1 through 16. This is the, the passage where Saul was chosen to be king. And uh, so I'm just gonna go ahead and read it as quickly as I can. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Seror, the son of Bekorath, and the son of Aphaya, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Abi, I mean Saul. <laughs> there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, they were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and he goes and, and so they're lost. He's looking for them. He's going through the valleys and the mountains and they were not there. He keeps going and he can't find them. So he says to Zuf, uh, he gets to the land of Zuf and he says to his servant, he says, come, let's go back because you know our dad is gonna stop caring about the donkeys and he's gonna start caring about us, what happened to us, and, and that's, you know, we don't want to worry him, is basically what he was, what he was saying. Uh, but the servant said to him, the servant now, how he got this information, it's not clear, but the servant was, was keen to say, look, now there's a city, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man, all that he says surely comes to pass, so let us go there, perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? So there he's, he starts to talk about, you know, how are we going to honor him? What are we going to bring to him? You know, he understood honor. He understood that if he went to somebody with authority, he needed to, you know, bring something, some sort of gift to present such an honorable man. So they decide, okay, let's go. And uh, he gets there and this man that they're looking for is evidently it's Samuel, the prophet of God. And so... He says here in 15, he says, now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came saying, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. So Israel wanted a king and Saul was the king. And Samuel was looking for Saul when he was supposed to come. My point being that there was a divine orchestration at hand because Saul understood covering. Saul understood anointing. Saul understood, um, understood and respect how to respect an honorable man. And because of that, one could say, did God cause his donkeys to be lost? 
Well, not necessarily, but God does use situations that are bad and turn them into good. We know that's a promise in the book of Romans, right? And so because he was, co- he was covered, because Saul was covered, God orchestrated that he should be at this right place at the right time to fulfill the role that God had for Saul. There was a divine orchestration because Saul understood covering. Saul understood the anointing. Now, somewhere between 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul got rejected by God as king. And you can read in 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 9, that, of how this transpired. So, Sam, uh, so Saul, basically what he had done is he had disobeyed a direct commandment of the Lord. He was frustrated with the prophet of God not showing up where he said he was or where he thought, where Saul thought he was supposed to be. But he was not coinciding with God's time. He wanted things to happen in his time because at this time he's already, he's the king. I'm the king. These guys should follow me. Samuel should follow me. And so what happened is Saul tried to offer a sacrifice that was not pleasing to the Lord because he, God didn't require that of him. God gave him a direct commandment to do a certain thing. Saul didn't fulfill it. He tried to skirt the issue and tried to do something else. He tried to do something else and God did not like that. All right, now you have to understand that in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God is moving and molding the people of Israel in a certain direction. That's why, he, that's why we see sometimes God is a very strict God because he's trying to get us to Jesus. All right, he's trying to get Israel to a place where we can have Jesus because mankind is still fallen, all right? But we still need Jesus. So if you see ever in the, in the Old Testament scriptures that God, well, why did God do that? Know that he did that. He is molding Israel to prepare the earth for Jesus. Okay, that's a, that's a whole nother divine orchestration that happens. So Saul gets rejected. And, and, and Samuel, tells, uh, Samuel tells Saul, what is this bleeding of sheep that I, that I hear in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? So Samuel is rolling up on Saul and he says, hey, I hear like oxen and sheep, what's going on? Oh, well, I thought since, you know, since we killed the Amalekites, we're not, you know, we shouldn't let these, these oxen and these sheep go to waste. So I figured we'd sacrifice them to God, but God didn't ask for that. God asked for his obedience. God asked for his obedience. And Samuel tells him later on in verse 19, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? And because of that, because of that, you have lost favor. You have lost your crown today in the sight of the Lord. And he took away uh, his kingship. Not physically, because he still remained king, but in the eyes of God, God was already divinely orchestrating another person behind the scenes because he knew where this was headed. He knew the heart of Saul had turned away from him. He knew that he had lost the covering that he had gotten out from under the covering. So what happened between Samuel chapter nine and Samuel chapter 15, first Samuel nine and 15? What happened was Saul's personal ideology got in the way of God's anointing. His own personal opinion, what he thought God wanted, 
got in the way of the anointing that God had for Saul. The awesome thing about us now and why we're so blessed is we have the hindsight of scripture. We have 2,000, 3,000 years of scripture that tell us exactly what the word and the commandments of God are. So rest assured, I'm gonna get to that point. So speaking about the person that God was preparing behind the scenes, it was David. Now David, the reason he was chosen was because David, even in all his... In all his bad deeds and all of his wrongdoings, David continually understood the necessity of staying covered by God. I mean, come on, this guy murdered? This guy committed adultery? This guy stole? I mean, everything, he lust, envy. He did five of the seven deadly sins right there and he knew about them. Yet God favored him. Why? Because he understood there was favor under the anointing of God. My son, when he was kept doing that thing, now had I had the money, maybe this is not the best, uh, this is the best example, but in my heart, I wanted to give, I'm like, I wanted to teach him the lesson and say, hey, mijo, don't do that again. Don't play that game. It's just there to cheat you. Here you go. Go and have some more fun. You know? But barring that, you know, he kept he kept doing things that were, according to him, he was gonna win that little Game Boy that he was, he was striving for. But that's not, that game was rigged already against him. Likewise, the world is already rigged against you. The world is rigged against you. The only way that you can win in the world is by staying under the covering, under the favor of God. Hallelujah, that's good news, ain't it? Psalms 140 says, 140 verse seven I think I might have already read this, but I'll read it again because it's right here. Oh God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. And that's what David clung to. He knew that regardless of whatever situation he found himself in, he could always go back to daddy and say, daddy, man, I messed up. I know it, I know it, I know it. I shouldn't have been putting the card in that game. I shouldn't have been doing it, but I did it. Please forgive me. Can you help me out? What can we do? And God's, hey, it's all right. You understand that I'm in control. Here's what you do. And he would do it. But there's not only divine orchestration in the Old Testament, there's divine orchestration in the New Testament. There's New Testament figures. One in particular that I want to point out is Paul. Seems a little bit obvious, but let me tell you something. Paul persecuted the church. Paul hated Christians. He would strike them. He would search them out to kill them. But once he had a personal encounter with Jesus, his life took a completely different course. And aren't we glad for it? Amen. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And he was a, he's a founding apostle of the Christian movement. God orchestrated, we don't know the exact turns that he took, but know that God orchestrated things so that he could find himself on that road and be blinded and the donkey start talking. I mean, all these things that had to have happened for him to find himself in the spot where he could then have a genuine encounter with Christ. Man, that's amazing. That's in- Have you ever wondered how you got to where you are? 
Think of all the odds that you had to overcome to be sitting in the chair that you're sitting right now. Some of you may have a huge, long testimonial story. Some of you may be like, oh, I just felt like getting up and you know, coming to church. But know that God ordained for you to be here tonight. Not because of me, but because he loves you. He loves you and he wanted you to know that he's got you covered. He's got you covered. Paul was divinely orchestrated throughout the entire time, throughout the entire time that he was persecuting Christians. He thought he was doing God's work, but he wasn't. Yet God turned Paul so that he would be one of the most championing people of the gospel. And he is. I love, I love reading some Paul. I love Romans, Corinthians, Galatians. Man, he's, and, and not only that, but he mentored Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and also wrote the book of Acts. I mean, he, he, not only that, but he also mentored Timothy, who's one of the greatest pastors in early Christendom. Not only that, but he put Peter in his place. He did that. I mean, the guy had guts. Why? Because he knew who his covering was. He knew who his covering was. All right, so what do you gotta do? What do you gotta do to stay under this covering? You know, I really like Pastor Don's uh, message from Sunday. The last point coincides with this, this point that I'm getting, and it was obeying God's commandments. We have to obey his commandments. Did you know that there are 613 Levitical laws in the Jewish tradition. It's called the mitzvot. And on top of that, there are thousands of commentary laws placed by scribes and the hundreds of rabbis that followed after those laws were instituted. So after the thousand years that, you know, that Judaic law or Hebrew law was in place, all these scribes kept adding to them, kept adding to them. I really like the explanation of how the Israelites, uh, I think it's, it's law number 35 or 37, something like that, you know, six, 613 of them. I, I've read a lot of them and, and they're crazy. They're crazy. But imagine 613 and on top of that, all the commandments of the scribes and the rabbis. That's insane. But there's one that's really, that's really uh, stands out to me. It's, um, it's the four corners law. It, uh, it, it instructs it instructs Jews to not reap from the four corners of their field. It also instructs the Jews to not pick the single grapes in their vineyards. So if you, you know, you see the, the, the little, uh, little grapes, uh, what's it called? A bunch, right? Little cluster, bunch of, of grapes. They would pick those. But if you saw one or two, you would leave them. You weren't allowed to touch those. It was against the law. And uh, if you if you forgot, like let's say you're you're sheave you're, you're cutting the wheat and you're 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 harvesting the wheat and you put them in big old sheaves, you know those things that kind of like flower out. Those are called sheaves. If you gather all of them and you left one behind and you're already on your way back home, it was against the law to go back and get it. It was against the law. Interesting, right? Why? Well, God had a plan for people that were poor. The poor people would gather from the corners. They would gather the grapes that had fallen to the ground. They would gather the grapes that were not in bunches. So this was kind of like, you know, God's way of taking care of the poor people. So there was things in there that were really cool, but there were some other things like, you know, don't wear mixed fibers. 
don't wear mixed fibers, you know, don't shave your beard, a whole bunch of different things for, for women. I mean, I mean, it's insane. So uh, there were 613 Levitical laws that Jews had to obey. Any, anyhow, uh, these laws and the further set of instructions varied not only from those 613, but they varied from teacher to teacher, from year, from generation to generation, rabbi to rabbi. Can you imagine having to know all of them on top of the 613? This was called the rabbi's yoke, a rabbi's yoke. Does that sound familiar to anybody? That's because Jesus explained his yoke. And he explained it in two key areas. Let me explain with this first passage and it's Matthew eleven twenty seven. I don't know if it's in your notes, but I'm gonna read it. It says, all things have been delivered to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son and the one to whom the son wills to reveal him. Come to me. Here's the, here's the verse that I, I was wanting to exemplify. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and, I will, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, he was Rabbi Jesus, right? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So now looking at that and understanding what yokes were, the rabbi's laws and the rabbi's teachings and guidance and additional laws to the 613, we get a summation of the law. We get a summation of the law and that's found in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. And here the, the, the scribes and, and the Sadducees are trying to trip up Jesus because they know all these laws. They know all of these rituals and all of these rules that they have to follow and they're trying to stump Jesus and they tell him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? So you got about a thousand rules. He's like, which one is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the crux of it. Verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That is why Jesus' yoke is so easy because he has two, love God and love your neighbor. If you love God, you're gonna obey God. If you love your neighbor, you're not gonna do your neighbor wrong. That's it. If you can do those two, and if you can have those in your heart, you've got all 613 covered. Amen? That's awesome. That is awesome. So we got this whole conglomeration of rules and regulations that at the time, people were expected to follow. But Jesus said, deuces. He said, two, love God and love your neighbor. What does this all mean? How does it come together into something applicable in your and my life? Provided that you find yourself under the covering of Jesus' yoke, you will be covered. All you need to do is get under the yoke of Jesus and you are covered. Understand those in every decision in your life and you are covered. 
you're going to be a favored child of God like David was. Regardless, I'm telling you the truth. Regardless of where you find yourself, what you did today, what you cursed out on the way here, all right? Seriously, right? That's real. We're, we're, none of us are perfect, all right? I've been there, all right? Regardless of where you find yourself, if you understand Jesus's yoke and how easy it truly is, you're covered regardless. That's why when you're saved, you're saved. Now, you might make your own life miserable, but that's not because of Jesus's covering. That's because you made it miserable. That's going the route of Saul, all right? But always run back under the covering of Jesus, all right, always run back under the yoke of Jesus and you will find rest. Now, something a little bit more practical. How do you know, how do I know, Brother Abby, that I'm covered? There's four signs of a solid covering. All right, get this. And I appreciate everybody being here, paying attention, taking notes, because that covers you for number one. You're teachable. You're teachable. Again, I mentioned earlier Timothy. He was a mentee of Paul. He was teachable. Whenever he had problem with the women in the church, he, he said, Paul, I can't handle these women in the church. Please tell me they keep talking in the middle of service. That's in the scripture, by the way. They keep talking. What do I do? And Paul says, okay, instruct them to do this and that and that and don't, you know, if they have some questions, they can ask afterwards or ask their husbands. That's, so be teachable. Always have a mentor. Always have a mentor. We have great mentors here. We have great mentors here. If you ever find yourself uh, needing to know an answer, man, come to one of us. We'll do our best. And if we don't have the answer, we'll point you to the answer. Amen? Number two, your reputation. Ooh, that one's a hard one. All right. Your reputation. Acts chapter 15, we're introduced to Silas. He was uh, one of Paul's cohorts that went everywhere with him. But Silas was such a great guy that even Peter himself mentioned him. In 1 Peter 5.12, it says, by Silas, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace. So here you got Peter, a rival of Paul's. I mean, I'm sure by this time they're probably reconciled. But here you got two different people and Silas is, is the go-to runner between them. All right, so let me get, let me get uh, knock a couple of these out real quick. Uh, number three, spiritual maturity. And the way you know that you're spiritually mature is found in Galatians chapter five, verses uh, 22 and 23. And it talks about the fruit of the spirit. If you are exemplifying these fruits, then you know that you are on your path to spiritual maturity. That is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Can somebody say self-control? I think that's the one a lot of us struggle with. Yours truly included. I mean, it's, it's tough, right? It's tough. But when I fail, oh, Jesus, I failed, please. What do I do, God? What do I do? I always run back to Jesus. Always run back to Jesus. Spiritual maturity. Number four, witness of the Holy Spirit. You'll find that in Romans 8, 16. Um, see, when, when you're under the covering and you are partaking in the Holy Spirit and you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, sometimes that gut check, you, you just know. Sometimes if, if, if all else fails, you just know in your heart and in your gut 
that something is right or something is wrong. I love, we had a, we had a, uh, a meeting a few weeks back and, and Pastor Ken said, he said, if your conscience is clear about the decision and you're a Christian, if your conscience is clear, you're good. Because you know the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is operating inside of you. And if you don't know the Holy Ghost, we're gonna give you an opportunity here in a minute or two. All right, so the witness of the Holy Spirit inside of you. So those are four signs of a solid covering. Teachable, your reputation, spiritual maturity, witness of the Holy Spirit. I want you to remember this. When you walk in the divine enabled obedience, that is the yoke of Christ, you will enjoy a great life. That is the importance of a solid covering. Amen? That's the importance of a solid covering. Hallelujah. And I want to take you to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Because when you find yourself in the covering, there's absolutely nothing. Let me just read it because this is awesome. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, that's you and I, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, that's you and I, these he also called, he called you and I. Whom he called, these he also justified. You're justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. You're glorified and favored. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The covering of Jesus, when it's over your life, nothing can hinder you. I'm not saying that you're gonna live a trouble-free life, but nothing can stop you when you're under the covering of God, amen? How many wanna believe that tonight? Well, you better because it's the word of God. Hallelujah. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect. You're God's elect. It is God who justifies, not man. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who is also making intercession for us. He's up there talking on your behalf. You do something wrong, Jesus has got you covered, amen? He has got you covered. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Shall tribulation? No. Or distress? No. Persecution? No. No, famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are made more than conquerors through him who loved us. How many praise God for that fact? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor this world nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love the covering of God which is in Christ our Lord let's pray we hope that you enjoyed this message you can find more messages and information about tree of life church at treeoflifechurch.org we'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels Texas or you can watch us on live stream Thank you again for listening.